The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning again. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, good to be back. I was out of town last week. My wife and I got away for a little weekend, but uh, uh, Pastor Ryan did a great job as always, and uh, it's good to be back, though. Uh, it was always great to get away, but I miss my family and miss my uh, my coastal family. Um, I'm excited about today. Man, we've had a great day already, and I'm excited about this afternoon. Like Ryan said, we got 40 plus, I think it could be upwards of 50 people possibly uh, getting baptized today. So I've been working out at the gym. I'm feeling strong, feeling good. Uh, no, uh, Scott and Ryan are gonna be helping today and, and uh, it's just gonna be a great celebration. Even if you're not getting baptized, like he said, come on out. And uh, cause we got a lot of food. You don't have to bring anything, food, drinks, all provided. Uh, we're gonna, the baptism will be right at four and then we're gonna eat immediately afterwards. And uh, we're gonna be right there by the, um, uh, as soon as you come into the park, which by the way, the park is at the far right end of the um, of Folly Beach. And uh, so as soon as you come into the park, uh, even if you can't park right there by the shelter, that's where the food's gonna be. And that's that side where we're gonna be doing the baptisms at. And uh, so can't wait to see everybody come early because you know how parking can be. And today is sunny. Finally, and uh, even if it's raining over here at West Ashley, like at three o'clock, 2.30, it's gonna be sunny in the beach. God has already told me that. So you, you guys just come on out, don't worry about it. A um, couple of things, that, or one main thing I wanna uh, mention this morning before we get started. Uh, also inside your bulletin today, there's a little, uh, little insert, and it says Volunteer Opportunity Oakland Elementary School. Um, we have a phenomenal relationship uh, with both schools across the street, Orange Grove Middle right there up front, and then Oakland Elementary School right behind them. And uh, it's a school that we've been serving and loving and sharing uh, for the last 14 years since we've been uh, here at this location. And uh, we're gonna up our game this, uh, this coming year and include uh, more people to, to serve and volunteer over there. And so this sheet basically kind of spells it out a little bit. Um, if you're interested, if you can donate you know, a half an hour to possibly an hour over a month. You know, that could be like once or twice a month maybe. Uh, we would love to uh, get you uh, signed up to volunteer over there at Oakland. Um, that might be simply assisting in a classroom. Uh, it could be uh, reading with a student. And it also could be as simple as uh, sitting at lunch with a group of students. And uh, all of you are experts at sitting. You're, if you can do what you're doing right now, you can volunteer over at Oakland. And um, so today on the back of your Connect card, uh, it says, I would like to volunteer to serve at Oakland Elementary School. You can check that box. We'll kind of put a group together and then we will follow up with you and give you some very simple next steps and uh, get that organized. We just believe in making an impact in our community. We might not be able to serve and volunteer at all the schools in Charleston County, but surely we can be really involved at the school directly across the street. And uh, we just believe that when we, if you make an impact in a child's life, um, you have an opportunity to change the world. We believe that. And we also believe that there's an opportunity for us to, uh, to love a group of people that need it as schools and teachers. So uh, anyway, if you're interested, we would love to uh, get you involved in that. Um, we are in week four of this series called Summer Reading, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, I'm a reader, and um, I really like to encourage other people to grow uh, mentally and spiritually, and I think one of the great ways to do that is through reading. Uh, today's book, 
uh, is a great book. It's called Messy Grace by Caleb Kaltenbach. Um, I first read this book uh, earlier this past year, and immediately I knew that we needed to use this book for our summer reading series. Um, I highly recommend the book. If you haven't gotten it yet, uh, pick it up, read it. It is a story that we need to hear today. Uh, the book tells Caleb's personal story. His parents divorced when he was a young child. Uh, both of his parents uh, come out gay, and he was raised by his mom and her partner. Uh, as a young child, he marched in gay pride parades, was immersed in that culture, um, and he also experienced, and he tells this story in the book, firsthand the hatred and the bitterness from some people who call themselves Christians toward his family. And then everything changed. Caleb becomes a follower of Jesus. And not only that, he becomes a pastor. And so the book tells this story. It's not meant to be a theological examination of homosexuality. In fact, I want to be really clear this morning, that's not what today's message is intended to be either. Messy grace is all about loving your neighbor as yourself. No matter who that neighbor is, even if that neighbor is gay, and even when that neighbor comes to church. It's about walking out the tension of truth and grace and loving people unconditionally, no matter who they are, and trying to be a little bit like Jesus in the process. Coastal, this particular issue is the issue of our day. You know, in the last uh, four or five years, I've probably had uh, more conversations, answered more questions about this one subject than any other. Uh, this past year, I've joked with several people that if you walked into my office, you'd think, man, Pastor Chris, are you gay? Because like, I got a stack of books about homosexuality in my office. And, um, and it, it's a, it's a, a subject uh, that I've, I've talked a lot about with people uh, in the past year. Um, in fact, what I want to do today um, as we begin is I want to read an email that I actually sent to a woman about a year ago. And this was in response to several of her questions. So this woman and her partner had uh, visited our church on several occasions, and uh, she loved our services, loved my messages, and she wanted very specifically to know uh, what we believed or taught about homosexuality and would she and her partner be welcome in our church or our groups. So this email is my response. This is definitely a longer conversation and I would love, love to get together and talk with you about it face to face. Honestly, that's part of the problem today. People are not willing to talk. They're simply looking for sound bites, simply looking to pigeonhole people into different belief systems. And when they do talk, they don't seem to have the ability to express different opinions and still be loving, kind, and respectful to each other. So, please, please hear my heart. At Coastal Community Church, 
We love people, all people. We're all sinners, all in need of a Savior. And the good news is one has been provided. His name is Jesus. Our job as a church is to point people to him and to allow him, his word, and the Holy Spirit to do the changing. We are all a colossal collection of fellow sinners, fellow strugglers, saved by the grace of God. And here at Coastal, we're just not that fussy about whatever it is that people struggle with. In fact, all of us have our weaknesses. All of us have a propensity toward sin. Now, here is where the tension might arise. At Coastal, yes, we are going to teach that homosexual behavior, homosexual practice is a sin. A sin just like any other, mine included. And as a believer, we are all called to turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. That process is called repentance. And all of us are called toward repentance. Our response as a church has got to be one of truth and love. Truth and acceptance. Jesus, the Bible says, was full of both. Truth and grace. A church without grace and love is a bunch of finger-pointing, placard-wearing, self-righteous Pharisees. But a church without truth is nothing more than a powerless, relativistic self-help group that negates the very reason for which Jesus went to the cross, our sin, yours and mine. At Coastal, I promise you, you will find both, truth and grace. Now, can we be loving and accepting without agreeing with each other or approving of behavior? That is messy, but I think we can. I believe that acceptance and love paves the way for influence and truth. And even if we run the risk of looking like we approve of a lifestyle, I believe it's always worth the risk. How do I know that's true? Because Jesus took that risk for you and for me. You will always be welcome in our services, our groups, our homes, our church, and can even serve in certain capacities. We actually allow non-members and even non-believers to serve and volunteer at certain levels in the church. Again, we believe that it paves the way for influence and truth. You will find love and acceptance at Coastal, but you will also hear truth. You will be loved, and you will be challenged and encouraged, just like me, to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. And yes, when I do preach and teach about marriage and the family, you will hear me say that when I read the entirety of the Bible, from beginning to end, I come away with the understanding and the belief that God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman, for a lifetime. Whew. That was probably a much longer answer than you anticipated. Again, I'd love to talk with you about this subject or any other, anytime please feel free to give me a call. I hope to see you and your partner on Sundays at Coastal. I hope we can get to know each other. I hope we can be friends. Coastal, 
That's what I mean by messy grace. In fact, write this down if you're taking notes. Messy grace is walking out the tension of grace and truth and doing it in love. Messy grace is walking out the tension of grace and truth and doing it in love. In fact, this next passage is a description of Jesus. Listen to this, John 1:14. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of what? What's it say? Grace and truth, both. And that's who we're to emulate. So, you know, why then is there a tension? You know, why is that messy? I mean, at first glance, man, that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, you know, walking out the tension of grace and truth and, and doing it in love, just like Jesus. It sounds beautiful. Well, first of all, quite frankly, last I looked, we're not Jesus, okay? Yes, that, that's who we're called to emulate. You know, he lives within us, but we are still human. And even as saved, sanctified believers, we are all in process we're all becoming, and sometimes we get it wrong. Love, loving people is messy. You know that. If you have a family, if you've lived on planet Earth, you know it's messy. And then, don't forget this. Even Jesus, even you know, the Son of God, walking that out perfectly, created a lot of tension and a lot of trouble when he was here on this Earth doing so. I mean, to say the least, and if the Son of God, you know, Jesus, living that out, created tension and trouble, we can expect the same. It's messy. You know, I, I believe that one of the reasons why there is tension is because, like I said in this email, people today, they're just looking for extremes. You know, on, really on just about any issue. They're just looking for sound bites. And, and I really think that extremes are easy. You know, black and white, that's easy. And people are like that. They want one or the other. You know, they don't want both. You know, they don't want truth and grace. You know, on the one hand, listen, I've been called a uh, narrow-minded, legalistic homophobe. On the other hand, I've been called a liberal pastor who doesn't, treat, doesn't preach the Bible. You know, in, in many ways, I'm, you know what if I do, and you know what if I don't. You know, trust me, PC does not stand for politically correct. You know, we've actually had people from both sides of this issue uh, get upset and leave the church. It's messy. We had a family leave the church because they didn't want homosexuals serving in the church. Didn't want them opening the door for them or touching their children. And my response was, after I calmed down, was the day we start kicking sinners out the door of this church is the day I stop being the pastor. Because this sinner will be first on the list. It's messy. Now, I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions today, and I'm not going to be able to address every single angle of this issue today. In fact, you might leave here with more questions than answers. I actually think that's okay. But if you'd like to get together and talk, 
if you'd like to search the word of God together, if you'd like to walk out this tension, this messy tension of truth and grace, and if you want to love people, all people, and you want to point them to Jesus, then I am your pastor, and this is your church. And so what I want us to do today is to look at one of the most famous encounters that Jesus had, where you see him perfectly walking out this messy tension of grace and truth. Uh, It's a story that we've looked at many times over the years here at Coastal. Uh, It's the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Follow along as I read. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. So here's Jesus doing what Jesus does best. He's, he's with people. He's teaching. And there, there gathers a crowd. Now, the religious leaders and the Pharisees were told, walk in, and they dump off this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. So the religious leaders and the Pharisees, we know, were really good at trying to look good on the outside. You know, appearances mattered to them. Keeping, you know, every minutia of the law, fulfilling every detail of it. That's what they were all about. And Jesus was concerned about the heart. Now, not only that, Jesus claimed to be the son of God. So let's just say these weren't exactly big Jesus fans, okay? Now, a couple of quick observations before we continue. First of all, I want you to pay attention that this is a violent mob scene. Okay, don't miss this. I mean, everything that's happening here is not done in private, behind closed doors. It's all out in public. And and then it simply says that she was caught in the act of adultery. Let me ask you a question. How do you do that? I mean, you know, was she set up? Were they lying in wait? And then, you know, when they caught her, did they, you know, drag her out completely naked? You know, she's just hanging on to a sheet or something. And then... In my mind, the more obvious observation is this. Where's the guy in this scenario? You know, where is he? I mean, the last I looked, when it comes to adultery, I'm pretty sure two people are typically involved, okay? So where's the dude? You know, is he eating breakfast? Is he reading the paper? You know, why isn't he there? Now, but for their purposes, okay, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it really didn't matter. Because this woman was nothing more than a pawn in their game. She's just bait to catch a bigger fish. And man, I think that relates to us today too. You know, so often in these these things that you see today in the media, people really don't care about people's stories or their soul. Many times it's just, they're just pawns. Bait to make a point. Verses four through six. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into something they could use against him. In other words, again, Jesus is if he does and if he doesn't. 
Okay, if he says no, he loses. If he says yes, he loses. The law of Moses says to stone her. So if he says no, they're gonna go, oh, okay, so he's going against the law of Moses. He must not be from God. And then if he says yes, he actually violates Roman law because their law said they couldn't execute people in, in this jurisdiction. So either way, he's in trouble. Either way, he loses. That's the trap. Now, at this point, the religious leaders gotta be feeling pretty prideful about themselves, you know, pretty smug. They're, they're high-fiving each other, you know. And again, they did not care about this woman. They didn't care about her story. They didn't care about her soul. They just cared about being right. Now, that sounds like a lot of people I know today who call themselves believers. This tension is building as everybody around senses that something's about to explode. Remember when you were uh, maybe in high school and uh, somebody would yell, fight! And uh, everybody would drop everything and run to the commotion, you know? And then by the time you got there, typically the fight, you know, was usually over. You know, unless there were girls fighting because they fight forever. But anyway... Um, and the Bible says, that's, that's kind of what was going on here, okay? And the Bible says that Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. So why did he do that? You know, I've always wondered, you know, what did he write? Maybe, maybe it's that he knew what was going on in the hearts of everybody there and he just stooped down to, you know, to pause and compose himself from his righteous anger. You know, maybe it was like one of those moments you have with your, with your children when they've been fussing and fighting all day long. And you keep thinking that eventually it's just going to stop, but it never does. And finally, just out of exasperation, you go, enough, you know, stop it. And, you know, one of the kids inevitably says, it wasn't me. She started it. No, he started it. And then you go, you know what? You're all in trouble. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing here. You're all guilty. We don't know what he wrote, but what he says next is very clear. Verse seven, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, stone her. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. Now, it would have been very easy for Jesus here to move into the role of judge. But he doesn't. You know, why do you think why do you think no one threw a stone? Those without sin throw the first stone. I think because even in those moments when our hearts are, are messed up, we still know the truth. We know we're all sinners. You know, even 2,000 years later, here, right now, everybody in this room knows we are all sinners. In verse eight it says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Again, we don't know why, we don't know what. Part of me thinks, you know, knowing the character of God that he didn't wanna just add to the shame and the guilt that now these people are feeling. And it reminds me of how very different we are from God. You know, in this situation, you know, we would have been making eye contact with everybody. Hey, you, back there in the back, we've seen your sin, you know, get moving. You know, that, that's what we would have done. But Jesus doesn't do that. You know, I like to think that maybe as he's down on the ground for the second time, maybe he's imagining what this woman was created to be and to do. Maybe he's thinking how 
She was created to enjoy life and to have right relationships with people and with God and to be loved. The same dream that he has for all of us. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Jesus steps into the role of Savior, of friend. You know, the only one who could have thrown a stone, the only one who had the right to throw a stone, didn't even pick one up. Why? Well, because in a little while, he is going to go to the cross as payment for what she had done wrong. He was going to go to the cross and take all of the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, with him to the cross. That's called grace. And then he says these incredible five words. Go and sin no more. What's that? Truth. Grace and truth. You know, what's important to understand about the character of God is that Jesus loves and accepts this woman without approving of her sin. Man, I love his focus. His focus is her future. You know, he doesn't bring up the past. He doesn't lecture her about adultery. He simply says, go now and sin no more. You're forgiven, now live like it. You know, basically he was saying, yes, you did wrong, but I'm gonna pay for it. You matter to me, and I am not gonna give up on you. I value you. Do not let this end here. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to her. We don't know. But what we do know is that this story reveals something about the nature and the character of Jesus. So Coastal, how do we do that? How do we become a little bit more like Jesus today as we walk out the tension of messy grace? Let me give you today um, two simple principles to help point us in the right direction. First of all, Think conversations, not categories. Think in terms of conversations, not categories. Now let me see if I can explain this. The longer people are in the church, the more we have a tendency to put people in categories. In fact, I'd even go maybe even further than that and to say that the reality is this is the, one of the characteristics of our culture today, of our world today, is that people just want to do that. They just want to put people in categories. You know, uh, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. We're just categories. But what's happened is we see that in the church too. The longer we're insiders, the easier it is to put other people, outsiders, into categories instead of engaging with them relationally instead of having conversations with people, instead of getting to know them and do life with people, even if we disagree. 
You know, I'll give you an example, and it's kind of a, an interesting one because it comes from a generation ago, okay? Like, when I grew up in church, um, a lot of churches back then were discussing, you know, what are we going to do with divorced people? Seriously, that was the issue. You know, could they, could they serve in church? Could they teach? Could they become an elder or a deacon? Could they serve communion? Could they take up the, an offering? And basically, an awful lot of churches just ended up dealing with people as a category, they just decided, well, as a category, there's certain things that you just can't do if you're divorced. I mean, we love you, Jesus loves you, but you belong over here, you know, in this category, and truthfully, you're not really welcome in this church. And you see that today, that mindset, that attitude of categories instead of conversations in a lot of churches today. Now, here's the problem, though, with only thinking in categories. It will always lead you away from seeing the sin in your own life. And it'll always lead you away from grace. Listen, have you ever thought about the idea that the truth that in Scripture, Jesus actually talks a lot more about greed and pride and gossip than he ever talks about sexual sin? I mean, that's the truth. But if you're greedy or prideful, you can hide. I mean, the reality is you can be the greediest person in Charleston right here today and we would never know. Here is the antidote for that. Think and deal with people in terms of conversations, relationships, life, instead of just categories. In fact, conversations will mess up your, your categories. Because when you get to know somebody as a human being, it's, it's harder than just to pigeonhole them into an impersonal category. You know what you quickly discover? You quickly discover that they are made in the image of God, just like you. Think about this. A 16-year-old girl is uh, struggling with same-sex attraction. She doesn't know where to turn for answers. She shows up here on a Sunday morning. Or maybe she comes to our WAVES student ministry on Wednesday night. Let me ask you a question. How do you want her treated? Now, I'll tell you, if, if, if it were my daughter, I'll tell you how I want her treated. I want people falling all over her in love. Just loving her to death. I mean, this past year, Coastal, we did start a ministry here called Embrace What? Grace. Now, you might push back and say, well, come on now, Pastor Chris. I mean, isn't that risky? I mean, if we start extending grace and accepting people where they are, won't that lead people to think that we approve of everything they do? Maybe. But even so, I believe it is always worth that risk. Why? How do I know that? <laughs> because Jesus took that risk for you. He took it for me. You know, somehow that is what we have forgotten. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he met people right where they were. 
He reached out to people and accepted them in spite of, in spite of their sin. That's the beauty of mercy. That's the wonder of grace. Listen to this passage from Matthew chapter 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, what had they done? They had put them in what? Into a category. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, you know what he was saying? Listen, listen, you can keep the letter of the law perfectly all day long. But if your heart's not right, you're not right. And that's what I'm looking for. He says, for I've not come to call people who think they are righteous, but sinners. Don't you see, unlike the Pharisees who could only see people's past, Jesus sees our future. He sees our potential that love and truth and acceptance and forgiveness possess for changing people's hearts. But the Pharisees, in their quest for always being right, separated themselves from anybody that they believed was in the category of sinner. And they kept people like that at a distance. You know, to make it clear that their lifestyle wasn't endorsed. In contrast, yes, Jesus talked and he preached about sin, but he never isolated himself from anybody. I mean, this passage, the story right here says he was in their homes. He welcomed sinners. He ate with them. He offered mercy, love, acceptance, truth, and forgiveness. He understood that in order for light to, to shine in the darkness, the light's first got to engage the darkness. Here's what I'm asking you today. Have you very simply and neatly been putting people in categories based on what they have done, based on their past? Or are you willing to get messy? Are you willing to love people? Are you willing to have conversations with people so they can see what they can be, who they can become through God's amazing grace and forgiveness? Think in conversations, not categories. Now, for those of you who are already followers of Jesus, very quickly, let me end with this, and I want to give you one more simple principle. Please drop the rocks. Drop the rocks. You know, when you, when you relate to people who aren't yet believers, quit throwing rocks at them. I mean, for the love of God, get off social media and stop trying to be right. Stop trying to prove your point. You will never argue anyone into the kingdom. You know, we are so quick to condemn and so slow to show compassion. You really can love people without, you know, agreeing with them. 
Now I know we're living in a day and time where people won't allow you to do that, but that's what our call is. Listen, if you're a parent, you do that all the time already. You know, you don't agree or approve of everything your children do, but you still love them. Now, I think we got this whole thing messed up. You know, what, what I've learned in my own life is that if I will simply drop the rocks, then my hands are open to point people to Jesus. My hands are open to embrace people and love on people and serve people. I've learned in my own journey of faith that, you know what, I need to be less tolerant of my own sin, less tolerant of the sin in my own life, and more tolerant of people who don't even know Jesus yet. They are not the enemy. They're the object of God's affection, and they ought to be mine. Think in conversations, not categories, and drop the rocks. Coastal, you willing to get messy with me? That's what God calls us to do. To walk out this tension of truth and grace and to do it in love. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to come home. Maybe today's the very first time you've been to Coastal or maybe you've been coming for a while and week in and week out you've heard the good news of the gospel that we're all sinners, we're all in need of a savior and one has been provided, his name really is Jesus. That's just not a, a cliche or a trite saying. He was a real person who came to this earth. He lived a perfect life and he died. He was crucified on a cross for your sin and for mine. And you don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to you know, clean things up or fix things before you come to him. He loves you just the way you are right here and right now. And we do too. And if you're just simply willing to admit that and come to him and to ask him to be your savior, to be your Lord, listen, he will forgive you, he will come into your life, and he will begin the process of changing you. That's called repentance, turning away from sin and turning toward Christ. And you can come home today and experience that right here and right now. And then this is so exciting. And then this afternoon at four o'clock, we will baptize you in the ocean today as a way of just symbolizing to the whole world that you have come home, that your old life has been washed away, your sin has been washed away and completely taken care of, and you are a brand new person in Jesus Christ. That's what today is all about. So are you ready? And if you are a believer, listen, the world that we are living in, it is messed up. I know that, you know that. But instead of complaining about it, listen, let's leverage that. People are looking for hope, and we have hope. We have the answers, but they're not gonna listen to truth unless we are willing to love people, unless we're willing to engage them in, in loving conversations. And I think we need to be better at that. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word. And I thank you for Jesus, who was this perfect embodiment of grace and truth. And God, I just pray that we, we would grow in our ability to be more and more like him. 
to be a church of truth, that your word does matter. It is our standard for, for life of behavior. But God, we've got to walk that out in love and to, to, to really love people, to think in conversations and not just categories. I pray God, pray God that you would explode those categories today. And maybe you're here and you're ready to come home. You're ready to turn away from sin and turn toward Christ. Listen again, he loves you just the way you are today. He, he went to the cross to pay for your sin. And if you would simply just pray something like this today, dear Heavenly Father, God, I do believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he was crucified for my sin. I believe that death and the grave and sin in this world could not hold him down. And to prove his power over all of it, he rose from the dead and he is alive. And Father, as much as I understand, as much as I, as much as I know, I believe that today. And I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And I ask you, God, just to begin that work of sanctification in my life, that, that, that process, God, of changing me. And today, Father, for the rest of my life, as long as you have me here on this earth, I just want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to do what he says. I want to become more and more like you see me now, in Christ Jesus, in the family, forgiven, brand new, changed. And Father, I, I rely on your promise that you give me, you will give me the power to change and the desire to do it. And for the rest of my days, I just want to walk with you in thanksgiving. And Father, again, I do pray for our church. I pray that we will continually reach out to people in truth and love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.